Thanks for being here at Open Life. My name is Jaden. I am uh, the campus pastor here at the Bonnie Lake campus. And so I just want to say thanks for being here. Um, so yeah, just like Thad was praying, um, I just want to take a quick second and talk about what happened over the weekend and in France. And so it's kind of a rough way to start the, the weekend and, you know, if you had any plans. And so I was actually at work following some, like, soccer scores on Twitter. And so I saw, like, the um, Germany and France were playing in Paris, and that's where one of the, you know, bombings were happening. And so it was just this, like, surreal moment because I was looking at, like, sports scores, and people were like, no one in the stadium knows what's going on. And so there's just kind of things. So then after work, you know, you read all the stuff about everything that was happening throughout the city. And so um, today we just really want to focus and pray for Paris um, and really the entire world. If you, As you kind of, like, read more and more stories, you realize that stuff was happening in Beirut, in Baghdad, all over the world stuff is happening and it's important for us to really pray and give that um, to God and really ask him for peace in these situations. And so I think we're relatively lucky and safe to live in America. And, you know, we celebrated on Wednesday Veterans Day. And so we give honor and thanks to veterans and just think, like we're very thankful for our freedom and the things that we have here in America. And it was just interesting to kind of look and see how many people just were like, Kind of not saying we weren't affected physically, but affected emotionally and spiritually just because of what happened in, in Paris. And I was just thinking, I think it's a lot like because Paris is a country like ours. You know, you don't hear a lot of stuff that happens there. A lot of people have been to Paris. Um, I like how everyone, you know, started making their profile pictures, like them standing in front of the Eiffel Tower. I've never had that privilege to be in Paris. I've been to France before, though. And so I think for a lot of people, we empathize because it's a country like ours. It's a country that many people have been to. And so I think it's important that we um, realize that and empathize with the people over there. And so um, if I can encourage you, so we're going through this series called Get Over It, and we're saying it's okay to not be okay. And so it'd be foolish of me to just come up here and say, well, just get over it, deal with it. You know, it didn't happen to you. Um, but if you're, if you have questions like about those things, it's okay to come and like really wonder why bad things happen. I think that's one of the greatest gifts we have um, in our prayer lives with Jesus is to give those things to God, to say, God, what is going on? Why are these things happening? And so if I can encourage you with one thought, it's just, this is what I was thinking about, is that like when these suicide bombers happen, they're killing themselves in order to kill and hurt other people. And so as a Christian and as a follower of Jesus, it's important for us to remember that our Savior Jesus came to earth to die. Just like these suicide bombers, Jesus died, but he didn't die to kill people. He died to save all of us. And so that's kind of like what I've been thinking about a lot today and over the weekend, is how much God loves everyone. That he would send his son Jesus to die on a cross for all of us. He died so that people live. And so he's the exact opposite. If there's any hope that can be gathered from these tragic circumstances is that Jesus died so that others would live. Not what is happening in our world where people die to kill other people. Jesus died to save people. And so uh, I think we can oftentimes underestimate the power that our prayers have. 
like we can say, well, I'm a half a world away. Do my prayers really matter? And so I think it's important for us to really not underestimate, but to really know the full power that we have in prayer, that we have to say, God, be with those who are mourning. God, I want to mourn with those who mourn. God, bring peace to these situations. And I think as we do that, we're helping the situation, but we're also preparing ourselves for when we need to be peace bringers, when we need to bring people peace and circumstances circumstances that may arise. And so as we talk today, we're going to shift um, to today's talk. And so we've been um, walking through what it means to, when we say um, it's okay to not be okay. It's on this side. It's on the right when I'm looking at it. So it's okay to not be okay. But we also want to get over things. And so the first week we've hit what, what it means to go through hard seasons, what it means to walk through trials and circumstances, and how we trust in God in those things, and how Jesus gives us rest. And then last week we hit on um, hurt and forgiveness. And like, um, if, we're, if you've been hurt by someone, how do we walk through that? How do we process those things, but also get to the point where we can forgive others? How do we do that? How do we, how do we have that same forgiveness that Jesus has for us for other people? It's very hard. And so today's kind of the next step in that. And we're going to be talking about our own shame. Like when we mess up, how do we feel? How do we deal with that? How do we, how do we ask for forgiveness and not let the thing that we did define the rest of our lives? How do we walk through that? Because we can become, we can feel very crummy about ourselves. And so when we're talking about shame, we can feel it in two ways. We can feel it brought on by others. Maybe someone looks at you and through the things that they may say to you, the, even the way they look at you, you might feel shame. You might say, like, I, I feel bad about myself because of what that person just said. You kind of get this, like, shame. Um, but then sometimes, and probably most of the time, we might feel shame when we do something, when we mess up, when we sin, and we realize that we've hurt other people, or we just realize, or we think, well, I'm a, I'm a bad person. I, I really screwed this up. And, and so when we're talking about shame, we're talking about that feeling of just not feeling worth it. Like, we're not important. We're not special. And so we're, there, you can kind of, as we were talking, we were, me, Brent, and Thad were going over this talk, and we're like, okay, are we talking about guilt? Are we talking about shame? Are those things different? Are those things the same? And so when we're talking about guilt, we're talking about when you mess up, when you screw up in a moment, that's guilt. You, like, you know you just blew it. Um, but shame comes right after guilt. And I think it's the thing that we hold on to the longest is that over and over again, in our minds, we're reminded of how we messed up. You know, you, might, you may have done something wrong in your past, and you may still hold on to those things. And we're all going to be changed by things that we've done in the past, but I think it's important for us to understand how Jesus forgives us and how do we walk in that forgiveness. How do we not let those things just stay stuck to us our whole lives? And so it's like, you know, when kids, I was a big uh, offender in this, is stealing a cookie out of the cookie jar. I mean, obviously, just look at me. But, um, but you, you know, you, it's like you put your hand in there, you grab it, you think, you, you know, you think you're safe, and then your mom catches you or your wife catches you now. And, and like Oreos, I like, so me and Danny, John's our roommate, and Oreos are a very controversial topic in our house because if they're on the counter, they're free game. And so, 
someone left their Oreos on the counter once and got mad that they were fair game. And so you get, you get caught, and, there's, and this is really not serious, but it's kind of an expression of what can go on. You get caught, you know, like, I knew I probably shouldn't be eating all the Oreos, but I ate all the Oreos. And so then I felt guilty about it, but I felt shame when I found out John was mad or Danny was mad because they wanted Oreos too. And so it can, it can get even more shameful when they start to look at you like, how could you eat all those Oreos? That's shame in a multiple different areas. And so that's a lighthearted example of some of the serious things that can happen when we truly make poor choices, when we truly sin and, and like get in, in between, get, let those things get in between our relationship with God and with others. And it's important to remember that shame reminds us over and over that we are, you can fill in the blank. In my notes I write, shame reminds me over and over that I suck. Like I just suck at life. I'm not good enough for Jesus's grace. I'm not good enough to be a good husband. I'm not good enough to be a future father. You know, we can think of these things and we might say it's not a big deal, but then in our like innermost being, when we're at the times when we're alone and we're talking in our heads and stuff, when, even when we're praying, we can begin to think like, man, am I really worth it? And so there's this ne- negative self-talk. Sometimes that can come from other people. Someone, someone says something to you and it just hurts you so bad. And it brings shame upon you, rightfully or wrongfully so. And you just think, man, I really am not worth it. And so today, are you holding on to shame from something that happened in your past? And is that affecting the way that you live your life today? Those are the questions to ask. And so hopefully by the end of today, you can realize the freedom from the idea in this verse. It's kind of like the theme verse for today's talk. It's Romans 8, 1 through 2. And so Paul is saying, he says this, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. There's no condemnation if you belong to Jesus. We're going to unpack what that really means as we go forward. But isn't it great and amazing to think that when we belong, when we choose to follow Jesus— we're, we're set free from our sin. There's no condemnation. And so then it goes on and says, the power of the Spirit frees us from sin. So as we talk today, and we're talking about this shame, so we're going to be talking about, you know, that feeling of, yeah, I'm forgiven, but I'm still holding on to stuff. And what we have to realize is that we're going to be talking about that uh, shame comes from sin, but that we have the power to not sin. We have power and freedom from sin because of what Jesus did. And so one of the things the, like we can take from this is that if we don't want to feel shame, then maybe we should start trying to be more and more like Jesus and try not to fall, fall into those traps of sin. And so today, the big idea is shame changes our view of life. And so are you looking at your life today through a lens of shame, or are you looking at it through a lens of realizing you've been forgiven by Jesus? And I believe the best way to look at life is through a relationship with him. That's how I try and look at my life. That's how I try and look at the lives of other people. I think that's what's really crazy when you look on Facebook and the reactions to what's going on in Paris is 
we can sometimes think that different lives are worth more in the grand scheme of this world because French people are killed versus all the people in Africa that are killed or, or in Beirut or just in, in Afghanistan. We think that because this happened that we have to lower people's worth in life. But when we, when we have a relationship with Jesus, when we're following him, we not only see ourselves differently, but we also see other people the way that Jesus sees people. And he loves everyone. And so, do you see yourself as a child of God? Do you see yourself as forgiven? Do you see yourself as being called for a purpose? Seeing life through shame is like wearing glasses that are like to the wrong prescription or they're really super blurry or you maybe got some smudge on them and you're looking through it as you're like, things don't look right. I don't know if like I've put on um, prescription glasses before. I don't wear glasses or contacts and I just instantly get this like piercing headache. Like what is like, it so distorts like my brain process or whatever that I get this really sharp pain And so I think some people look at themselves through a lens of shame and it's deteriorating your life because of something maybe someone said to you or something that you're holding on to. And so how do we get past those things? If we're going to stand up here and say that life is so precious, then we better not have a distorted reality of what true life really looks like. So today is all about looking internally at ourselves and seeing how shame works and how we can live without shame. So today's first thought is shame comes from sin. And so if you've never heard like the, the you know, definition of sin, it basically simply just means missing the mark. So like if you have a goal, it's in people often talk about archery, is you, you're going to shoot an arrow, you always want to hit the bullseye. But oftentimes you're maybe to the left, maybe you're to the right, up, down. Maybe you miss the mark. And so as followers of Jesus, our mark should be living like Jesus. But let me be the first one to say, I miss the mark often. I am not like Jesus. And so we're all dealing with this, this issue of sin and shame. And, and sometimes, sometimes you just mess up and you, you, you ask for forgiveness. You go to people and say, I'm sorry, I really blew it. And it, that is that. There's no shame involved. There's a small little bit of shame, but sometimes you really screw up. Sometimes you mess up, and you're like, I don't see how my life cannot be affected negatively by this. And so that's what we're talking about today, is that, that shame that comes from our sin. And so we're talking about uh, where does sin come from. We're first taught about this in the Bible right from the beginning in Genesis, when we, when we talk about Adam and Eve and so God created them and put them in the Garden of Eden. And this is basically the ultimate paradise. There's no sin. There's no shame. There's no sickness, no death, no decay, no anything. God created Adam and Eve to, to just live with God forever and to love God and just be in relationship with him. And so then we read about this choice in Genesis 3, 1 through 7. And so let's just read that together. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. 
The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were open, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And so this is Adam and Eve's first experience with shame. It's the first, you know, like sin that we read about in the Bible. And it's the first time we have to deal with what sin does and brings shame on us and how we deal with that in our relationship with God. And so they're sitting in the garden, they're naked, and they finally, they realize it. And when God's walking through the garden, they feel the need to hide from him. And God finds them and he notices that they're acting funny. Maybe as a parent, you've caught your, your child stealing a cookie and you know they're like hiding it or they're, they're hiding from you. They're behind the couch, you know, chewing something. I'm going to bring up a dog story. But anytime Walter has something that he doesn't have, he's immediately under the dining room table with a sock in his mouth usually, just waiting for me to come try and take it from him. And so it's like, you know when something is going on. And so the same thing here, Adam and Eve are in the garden. They're hiding from God because they know they did something wrong. They felt their shame and they feel a need to hide from God. Adam and Eve missed the mark and and a switch flipped inside their brains that said, something's different now. Something's changed. And so when we sin, we are heaped with this responsibility of dealing with shame as well. Not only does sin get in the way of our relationship with God, it gets in the way of how we view ourselves. When we come to the point of recognizing for sin and asking for forgiveness, the next step is living in forgiveness and not letting shame get us back in the same mess we just got ourselves out of. Adam and Eve... They felt the need to hide, and God had to confront them about it. And so shame sticks to us to remind us of a moment we have sinned. And if I can explain the feeling in a, in a specific way, I have this, like, mild form of claustrophobia. And I say mild, it might actually be serious. Um, I, I, you know, I was writing this out, and I said, you know, it's never really affected me, like, majorly. But, I mean, get me in a sleeping bag or a small tent— and if you turn the temperature, like, above 80 degrees, I'm going to, like, freak out. And so me and Danny are on this camping trip, and it was the first time we had ever, like, been in a tent together after we were married. It was, like, a family reunion. And I just remember getting, like, so hot. I just, like, shot up in the middle of the night. And I'm like, i got to get out of here. And, you know, I was, like, I was just, like, freaking out. I didn't even know what was going on. I was so just out of mind, and I freaked Danny out. And so it's, like, interesting because once you have one of those experiences, you begin to, like, kind of psych, your, psych yourself out of, like, small spaces. So it's, like, I'm fine going in an elevator. I'm fine, like, I've been to, like, OMSI before in Portland. You go in the submarine. And, but, like, if I'm in there and then I just start to worry, I start to fear, and then I can, like, like, I would literally pass out. I, I, would, I could make myself pass out. And so it's like there's this feeling of just like crampness. It's like if you've ever been to the beach, you know, the people that like love to be covered by sand so that you can make like a, a mermaid legs to your legs if you've seen those pictures before. I can't even put my feet under the sand without feeling like 
you know, the weight of the world is like pressing down on me. So it's like I have to be free from those things. But that's a lot like what shame is. When we let it affect our lives, it can weigh us down. It can stick with us. And it's like heaping a pile of sand on you over and over and over. Even though you've been freed uh, from sin by Jesus, you're still trying to walk through that. But when it comes to sin, trusting in the forgiveness that comes from Jesus is our only route to freedom. First John 1 John 1.9 says, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive us. It is only through Jesus that we can find forgiveness. There's nothing we can do to earn it. It's not like this is like a membership thing with Jesus where you say, well, here's the, the first test. Just choose to follow me, and then we'll, we'll see how you do for the next few months. And then there's going to be a, a follow-up meeting with Jesus where he says, well, you really didn't do very much these last three months, so I'm going to hold my forgiveness from you. The minute you choose to follow Jesus, the minute you choose to confess your sins to him, you are forgiven. There's not this like wait and see process. And for some of us, that's hard to deal with. Because sometimes shame tells us that you have to earn freedom. You have to earn forgiveness. You've been forgiven, but are you really? Shame asks you those questions deep inside of your soul. Day after day after day, you remember that thing you did even years and years ago, and you say, I'm not good enough. I don't deserve forgiveness because this happened. And so we try and do things. We try and live our lives in a certain way, and it holds us back. One of my favorite people I follow on Twitter, I would recommend him if you have Twitter and you want to follow someone very, very encouraging. His name's Bob Goff, and he uh, had this tweet a few weeks ago, and while going through this talk, he just reminded me of it. He says, we spend a lot of time memorizing failures. God spent a lot of love saying we could forget. And that's the truth when it comes to our mistakes and our failures, is that God's forgiving you. He spent a lot of love sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, and we're forgiven but we don't need to hold on to those things and let them define the rest of our lives. Yeah, we're going to be shaped by them. We're going to be transformed by them. There's going to be consequences. But when it comes to following Jesus, when it comes to being in relationship with him, we don't have to let our sin come in between us and God. And so thought to shame attacks our identity. Shame, instead of just sticking to a moment like guilt does, where we feel it instantly, it tells us that our sin is actually who we are. It's important to understand that when we, when we sin and acknowledge it, we can walk past it. Unresolved shame will make us feel like there is no end in sight. There is no hope. We're always stuck in the same place. How can we have hope when this is who you are, is what shame tells us. How is there hope when I messed up so bad yesterday? How is there hope when I messed up last week, last month, last year? When God would say, you're forgiven, now it's like a, it's like a, a plan to go forward, to take steps in becoming healthy again. And so the danger is in the identity is that hurt people will always hurt other people. 
It's this vicious cycle that we kind of talked about last week of hurt and forgiveness. And when you hold on to shame, you begin to hold on and think, this is who I am. And as a result, you begin to hurt other people. They begin to feel shame because you're making them feel shame. And so it just goes around and around and around. What if we just let the forgiveness of God interrupt our lives to say that we are forgiven, we can walk forward, that God has a plan for us, and we don't have to hurt other people anymore. We can live in right relationship with God and with others. Maybe you've been wronged or abused in some way, and you feel shameful. Maybe you didn't do anything wrong. You don't deserve this shame, but you feel it anyway. Everything about shame still applies. You're still going to hold on to it. You're still going to feel like there's no hope, there's no future, but we can we begin to be defined by a moment instead of being shaped by them. And that's what we were talking about last week, is when we hold on to hurt, when we hold on and don't forgive others, we begin to let those moments define us. We let shame define us instead of just being shaped by them and just letting us move forward. It doesn't mean you forget about those things, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't make wise choices accordingly in the future, but you give the power to Jesus instead of the abuser or the offender. When we've been hurt and we hold on to those things, we let that hurt be the power, powering force in our lives. But when we choose to give it to God and say, God, please help me learn how to forgive through this, we give Jesus the power instead of being hurt having the power. And so the hope through, through shame is that Jesus came to conquer sin. And Romans, Paul hits on the theme of these talks that it's okay to not be okay because uh, Jesus worked out God's plan for everyone and to deal and process the areas of guilt and shame in their lives. And so this is what Paul's saying in Romans three twenty three through 26. He says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins the penalty for our sins. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God didn't, did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just. And he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. So are we all sinners? Yes, we are all sinners. We all have fallen short. Yet for those who have chosen to believe in Jesus, Paul says we are right in God's sight. He is faithful and just to forgive us. We hold on to those things because we think we need to earn it. Our identity shifts when we realize that God loves us so much that he sent his son as a sacrifice so that we could live. And so really, the kind of thought we're trying to talk about today is that you are so loved by God that he sent Jesus to die on a cross. Like, God did all the work for us. God loves you so much. Why do we let shame define who we are, define our future decisions, when, when God, the one who created us, loved us so much 
that he sent his son so that we could be free. When you realize that you are loved by God and you truly understand that and let that be the defining factor of everything in your life, when you choose to follow him, that's when you gain freedom. That's when you you say, shame does not have a hold on me. That doesn't mean we keep sinning. That doesn't mean, just like the verse at the very beginning, we have power from the Spirit to be free from sin. But when we understand our identity is in Christ Jesus, we have power to walk forward, to not live in shame, to not be defined by our past mistakes or regrets. So the final thought today is shame robs you of life. Shame holds you to your past. It controls your present and it destroys your future. It holds you to your past, it controls your present, and destroys your future. Jesus came to give us life and give it to us to the full. We read that in John 10, 10. And Jesus says, you know, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come so that you may have life that is truly life, depending on what version you read. But it's basically Jesus saying, I have come. If you follow me, you have the best experience of what life can bring. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you on this journey. I'm going to walk you through this wild and crazy thing called life. But it's going to be truly life if you follow me. And it's funny because I think when we screw up, anytime we mess up, we think that that promise from Jesus is gone. That, man, I don't deserve this. I can't take it back anymore. But we've been forgiven. Shame says you don't deserve a say in the decisions that you're making now. It says you don't even think about doing that thing because you're not worthy of that decision. You're not worthy of that awesome job. Look at all the mistakes you've made in your past employment. You really screwed that up. Don't even try and go for that position. But when we live through the identity of Jesus, we understand that Jesus defines who we are. And as a result, shame will tell us that you are going nowhere. Your future is bleak. You're not going anywhere. You're not worthy of anything of the good gifts that Jesus has for you. And so when you're shameful, when you're holding on to your past, when you're not making righteous choices in the future and you have no, or the, in the present, and you have no hope for the future, that's really no way to live. That's not how God intended it to be. God came so, Jesus came so you could have life in him. And we read in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 21, this is Paul saying about this new life when we choose to follow Jesus or when we choose to confess our sins and let that be the defining moment of our lives. He says this, either way, Christ's love controls us. Other versions say Christ's love compels us. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we now know him. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. 
So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. God has been, he is, and he will always be relentlessly pursuing you. Pursuing others as well. And so I don't know where you're at in all of this. Maybe you've never chosen to take the step of following Jesus. You said, I don't deserve that. Or maybe you just didn't want it. But that doesn't mean God hasn't been knocking on your door since the moment you were born. And so I don't know if you have chosen to follow him and you've, you're stuck in a moment of something you did in the past, then you, ha- you hold a lot of shame for it. And maybe, rightfully so, maybe if we had no Jesus and had no forgiveness and we could just hold on to things our whole lives, maybe you're rightfully to have shame. But that's the freedom that comes from God and his forgiveness through Jesus is that you, can, you no longer need to be defined by that. And so maybe just that fact alone kind of messes you in the brain and you say like, Okay, yeah, but how does that really work? How do I get past those things? And I don't have a 12-step plan for you to walk through, but I do know that every step that you take, trying to be more like Jesus each day, trying to just let that forgiveness be the defining purpose for your life, really shapes and directs the decisions you make on a daily basis. Once you have been forgiven and forgive yourself, you begin to look at other people differently. You see the things that they do do to you differently. And you learn how to forgive. And it doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it just happens, oh yeah, you did this to me. I'm fine with it. You're good. No, it hurts and you're mad and you're angry. But you bring reconciliation. And that's what God came for us, to reconcile us to him and for all of us to be people of reconciliation for others. So the action point today is ask for and give forgiveness. It really should be ask for forgiveness and then forgive, but we tried to make it short. But um, today's talk is all about us feeling the weight that God never intended us to have. And so today... If you're holding on to something, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, I just want you to know the freedom that you have, first for your forgiveness, but second for your guilt, and third for your shame. You don't have to hold on to those things and let them define you. You can make a decision today, not in light of what you've done, but in light of where you want to be with Christ. And so... We're going to ask. We're going to ask God. We're going to ask others for forgiveness. And then we're going to give. And sometimes the hardest person to give forgiveness to is yourself. But forgive yourself. We hold on to forgiving ourselves so much, it's like we think we're the determining factor in our relationship with God. It's like we, it's like we think that we sent our son to earth to forgive us of our sins. But Jesus sent his son to earth so that you could be forgiven. 
So forgive yourself. And then we forgive others. We talked about that last week, but maybe that's still the action step you need today is that you need to forgive others. Romans 8, 1 through 2. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. When we live in forgiveness, when we choose to be forgiven, that's the path to life. When we hold on to our shame, we hold on to things that we've done in the past and let those define us, that's how you end and leads to death. Let's pray together. God, we just come before you. God, show us what your forgiveness truly is like. God, I pray for people that have been holding on to stuff for years and years and years. I pray, Lord, that they would find forgiveness today and start the slow process of giving up our shame. God, I pray, Lord, that we would walk out of here forgiven, God, and excited for the future that you have for us. No longer holding on to our past, no longer making wrong decisions in the present, God, but Lord, just pursuing a future with you that is bright and is prosperous and is joyful, a life that is truly life, God. So Lord, let us just come before you, worshiping you, giving you praise for your sacrifice, being so thankful for that, God, but Lord, let us walk and be forgiven and walk in that love, but Lord, ultimately, give that love to other people people that would shout, come to Jesus, come to life, come to follow what I'm doing. This has been the best experience of my life. God, I pray for stories like that, God, of people being peace bearers, God, being reconciliators, God, with people. And we pray for that today in every single person's life, God. Empower us to live free from sin and bondage, God. And we give this to you today as we worship. Amen.